Welcome back to the Bison Boys Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Clifford, along with my three other amazing co-hosts, Spencer Austin and Jack, as usual. It's been a little bit since we've been on here, but we are back and better than ever, ready for some some kick butt sports. <laughs> there you go. All right, so what are, what nice what's save. our yeah, yeah, what's our first topic here today? First topic we got today is the NFL season recap. Uh, we got a we just finished off wildcard weekend, but of course, right back on campus this week. So, let's just talk about how the season went down, who we think the NFL MVP is, and going from there. Of course, the Ravens were the number 1 seed in the AFC. On the flip side of things, the Niners were the number one seed in the NFC. I mean, who are their biggest threats right now? What do we have? Bucks. Bucks. Biggest threats to the Niners is the Bucks right now? Even after Green Bay played that way against a top passing defense? I, I, I don't know. You think Baker's dangerous? I think so. <laughs> but Baker Bake. I don't think there's a single threat to the 49ers right now. Yeah, and I'm, 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 I don't know. I have a weird feeling about Brock Purdy. I don't think he's going to go up to his performance like he's been doing this, I mean, they, this whole matter. season. They've won big games in the past. I mean, obviously besides the Super Bowl, but they've they've gotten places every year. They went into Lambeau, beat Aaron Rodgers in the snow a few years ago. They've just they've always won big games, and I can't can't blame them. They went to the big one with Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know why we're talking about Brock Purdy. Right. Lost to the Chiefs. He's their quarterback. You know what I mean? One possession game of the Chiefs in the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. His backup, or no, his once backup, now gone, obviously. Now gone. But. Thank you. Thank God. It's hard It's hard to say that someone's going to beat them when it can't happen. That's, that's why it can't happen. The, the, Super, Sunday, but. the Super Bowl race is, like, kind of difficult to even predict. I think it's just kind of just a matter of wait and see like i'm still on that ravens niners train i mean no team has showed that they can they can put one on the ravens in the last what eight weeks everyone's gonna say the steelers game they still hung with the steelers with backups and no one showed that they can really hang with them especially in the afc i think the bills can i think the bills will put up a fight if they can beat the chiefs i definitely will fight but But i don't know if they'll pull out on the nfc side i don't i mean san francisco's defense is healthy they're missing Hufanga, but he's been out the whole season, and their young guys have stepped up and played in. But they've had the same guys coming out to play the last five weeks. They're gelled. They're healthy. They're consistent. And I don't see any of the offenses in the NFC left breaking through that defense, really, except maybe the Lions. But I don't think the Lions' defense can handle, uh, handle that offense. The Lions have been, been very encouraging, but it, I, still do, I still, like, I don't know. I can't, I can't really predict at this point just because everybody's like a top contender besides the Ravens because the Ravens are very dominant this past couple weeks well if we're talking about the NFC the Lions of course being the number three seed the second highest remaining seed in the NFC left they're they're going to be in contention to go with the Niners but a team to look out for I know the Packers beat the Cowboys. I don't really see the Packers putting a dent in the Niners at all. Definitely not. I don't think it'll be more than a three-score game. I, my final guess for the Niners, the Niners-Packers game is going to be around like a 
28, maybe 14 game and just go with common numbers. But on the other side of things, Tampa Bay did hang with the Niners earlier this year. The Niners did beat them 27 to 14. That's 13 points that Tampa Bay lost to. It's going to be in San Francisco again like it was earlier on this season. But if Baker and the Bucks can get there, they're the only team outside of maybe the Lions I can see competing for that NFC crown. I mean, going back to that Packers, too, comparing it, everyone wants to compare and say, oh, well, they beat the Cowboys. Cowboys are one of the favorites now. They're going up against the Niners. But there was a formula to beat the Cowboys that was established in the season. The Bills did it. Other teams did it. But the Bills did it. They scored early, and then they ran the football. And that was the formula. And that's the same formula that the Packers followed. Niners, there's not a downset way to beat them like that. They haven't Cowboys. shown. Sorry, the Cowboys are never meant to play from behind. Any any momentum, the Cowboys ride the momentum throughout every single game. Yeah. I don't want to use the Patriots game as an example because that's kind of hard, but there's games like the Patriots, they get up early, they run the ball, and their defense plays well, and they're going to ride the momentum. That that was the case for, I would probably say, nine of their wins. Yeah. There's not really, there's no, like you said, there's no, for, like the formula to beat the Cowboys is exactly what you said. You score on them early and you put the pressure on the Cowboys to do something, they're going to crumble. The Cowboys, under pressure, have not been a good team. We see that why they don't win in the playoffs since the 90s. They don't, they under pressure. That whole organization has some curse that's just sitting over them all and they quite literally just like will fold under pressure. It's, it's, it's unfortunate to see because I actually believed in them this year and look at me now. I feel a little bit dumb. But <laughs> no, I, I was in the same boat as you, Jack. I, but, in the back of my mind, historically, the Cowboys are arguably the worst playoff team in the NFL. Among, among teams that consistently among te- yes. the playoffs. I mean, it's hard to look at a team that's been 12-5 and five, three years in a row that's and not saying. say they got to do it this year. It's hard to do that, but, I mean, they've just, every they just time. continue to lose continue. in the wild card, the divisional. It doesn't, it's, 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 it is difficult. It's, it's hard because <coughs> I thought they had the best. I'm going to be honest. I thought their roster was just as good as, as the Niners. I mean, yeah, they lost. They lost a few guys, but they've also had like random guys step up, like Marquise Bell. Deron Bland was an All Pro this all year. Pro. I mean, they've had the interception. They've just gotten a bunch of guys like in the interior, and they lost Van Der Esch too. I mean, Diggs and Van Der Esch have been staples of that defense for a few years now, and losing two of those top five guys, and obviously Parsons is just a different animal. But you know, Dan Quinn's really put that defense in a great spot to be every game but the Packers just tore them up Matt LaFleur called an unbelievable game they scored early Aaron Jones had three touchdowns you know vintage Aaron Jones stuff right there I'm glad he's he's playing well because he's the only veteran on that Packers team you know the Cowboys at their home stadium got steamrolled by a team that has how many guys over the age of 30 I would probably say you can count on on one hand yeah Aaron Jones is their oldest offensive player, and he's 28 years old, I believe. Mm-hmm. Which ridiculous. is, like, it's, like, hard to even think about, but... I'm pretty sure the only player on that team that's had a long playoff run as well is um, Bakhtiari. Yep. So. Yeah, and he's been hurt all year, so it doesn't <laughs> even matter. <laughs> like, yeah, he's a locker room presence, but still getting out there on that field, like you were saying, and playing. It's, it's a different animal. And, I mean, they showed... Everyone wants to talk about teams don't have experience. Teams don't have the playoff experience, but they showed... When you've been fighting all season, I mean, they had a tough one, 9-8. and eight, It's not their best, but they were fighting. They were in pretty much every game they played, and they showed they got the edge. And I think 
if anyone's going to beat the 49ers, you need that edge. I just don't think the Packers – I think the Packers have the edge. I just don't think they have the people to do it right now. I don't think many teams do. I, I'd agree with you, but the only reason I, I disagree is because 2020 – or 2021, sorry, when the Bengals were in the wild card, I said every game they played, the Titans game – I forget the other two teams they played in the playoffs. They played the Chiefs. The Raiders, the Titans, and the Chiefs. Yeah, so they played three games in a row out of the wild card. I said every game the Bengals are going to lose. They don't have the playoff experience. The Bengals (laughs) are going to lose. They don't have a veteran presence that's been to the playoffs. So I've always leaned on experience for teams, but I think in a way it's a little bit overrated. And if you're just hot, you're hot. Like the Bengals got hot at the right time that year. They snuck into the playoffs. Well, hot, and they got to the Super Bowl, and they lost on a fourth down play because Aaron Donald was the best defensive player in football at yeah. that time. <laughs> now the Packers start off, I believe they were one and five, mm-hmm. two and five. As soon as that middle of the season mark hit, they just put their foot down, haven't taken their foot off the gas. They've been going two hundred right down the freeway ever since. It's crazy. It's impressive to see Matt Lafleur calling this offense. That looks just like the way Aaron Rodgers is doing. That's so <laughs> cliche to say because no, everyone's been saying it, but it's but thing. it's quite literally, they literally just took Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> traded him to the Jets, and brought in Jordan Love. He sat there for three years. That's like even more impressive is he yeah. just sits there for three years and learns. Mm-hmm. That's I guess it's the recipe everyone should be doing because Rodgers did the same thing with Favre and the Packers got a Super Bowl out of it. Mahomes got, did the same thing behind Alex Smith. Yeah, right. I mean, all these guys that have sat for a year, like obviously there's some guys that come in like Stroud and they are just ready to go, but all these guys that have sat, most of them have proven to be something good. I mean, the one outlier is Trey Lance, but right. I mean, I mean we'll get back to the at least, but we'll get back to the Texans in a second. But just to play the devil's advocate. You mentioned that, Jack, you mentioned that the Cowboys, they're not a team built to play from behind. Are the Niners able to come back? I mean, I, I love Brock Purdy. I'll support Brock Purdy till the day I die. It's because you met him, that's why. Yeah. yeah besides <laughs> that, um, besides that, can Brock Purdy bring the Niners back in a game if they get down? We saw earlier this season the Looking at the Niners' losses, they lost to the Browns, nineteen to seventeen. They lost to the Vikings, yeah, twenty-two right. to seventeen. They lost to the Bengals, thirty-one to seventeen. And then the last game they lost, uh, they lost two games after that. Baltimore, where Brock Purdy threw four picks. And then the Rams at the end of the season. Of course, the Niners weren't playing anybody, but. Leaving the Rams out of this, those teams that they did lose to, can Brock Purdy bring the Niners back? So it's hard to say. Got a, a cool stat here from ESPN. In seventeen, in their seventeen games, the Niners trailed at halftime in three of them. What is their record in those three games? Zero and three. They were behind entering the fourth quarter in four games. What do you think their record was in those four games? I guess 0 and 4. 0 and 4. Yeah, that's exactly so, my point. San Francisco was 12 and 2 in games that was either tied or leading at halftime, and one of those was the Week 18 game against the Niners, where they were resting or against the Rams, where they were resting starters. But they haven't shown that they can come back. They haven't shown that if they don't get out early, they're going to win. Every game they were lo- uh, losing at halftime, they lost. Now I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to lose to the Packers. If they do, then, I mean, I every Green Bay fan <laughs> in the world can tell me that 
the that the Packers are the real deal because if they beat the Niners, then the Packers are my pick to go to the Super Bowl. But looking on the other side of things in the other divisional game, both the Lions and the Cowboys have not the Cowboys, <laughs> the yeah, Lions lost, and lost, the Buccaneers <laughs> have a good offense. I mean, the Bucks have Rashad White as their running back. They have Chris dog, Godwin. They dog. have Mike Evans. <laughs> and then Baker's played phenomenal, phenomenal this year. Baker, This has been Baker's best yeah, year in Tampa Bay. Despite going to three teams. In right. Season. Yeah, we're talking about whoever wins that game has to go up to a defense that's only allowed 17.5 points a game, only allowed, and allowed under 300 points all season, and only 31 touchdowns while scoring 61. So... But like good I offense said, might be good, but like I this... said earlier, the <laughs> Buccaneers were they only lost by thirteen points. And Baker played above average that game. Now that we're in the time where anything can happen, as we saw last week with the Packers and the Cowboys, the one team that I think can dethrone the Niners in the NFC is Tampa Bay, especially with that young defense coming up. The Lions struggle in the passing game. The Buccaneers have arguably one of the best safeties in the league, patrolling center field. And then they have Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean as the two outside corners. If they can get a rush on Purdy, I mean, the Lions are probably going to be the best O-line they're going to face going forward. I don't think the, I don't think the Niners' O-line is anything special if they can get a rush on purdy if the buccaneers do beat the lions in detroit we could be seeing tampa bay back in the super bowl for the first time in three years one thing i have to say about that is i know early in the season they were close 13 points is still a two-score game that's pretty good and i mean that's that's a pretty good margin and the way the niners played defense and the way the bucks have played their offense is just gonna clash the niners they have that that's that Kyle Shanahan cover six defense that he's run at every team he's been with. He's had every DC he's been with has run that. And that cover six stops plays over the middle. And the way they ripped the Eagles apart was plays over the middle and breaking tackles. The Niners do not miss tackles. There's one of the best tackling teams in the league. I mean, when you have Fred Warner anchoring the center of your defense. And Trey Greenlaw right Green now. Trey Greenlaw. They don't miss tackles. They don't let up big thing. They don't let let up anything over the middle. Really, the way they play their defense, and they push everything to the flats and fly down and make tackles. So, really, I don't think that game's going to be in Baker's hands as much as most people think it is. I think it's going to be in their playmakers outside trying to make people miss, making guys like Trevarius Ward miss in the flats because the Niners really try to push everything out the way they play their defense, and that goes against what a lot of teams want to do. The teams that have beat them. Like the Ravens are teams that have done those quick outs, thrown those quick outs, thrown those wide zone, stretch zone run plays that have gotten them out wide and they've beaten them because they've had the skill to do it. Guys like Rashad White, if they can get him outside, they, they can beat him. But Mike Evans is going to be your guy. You're going to have to hit him on a big shot down the sideline, something outside the numbers. That's going to have to be their game because you're not going to get Godwin open over the middle. You're not going to get these crossing routes that they were getting with the tight ends with Otten against the Eagles. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to make some big plays on the outside, and it's going to really show, I think it's going to come down to their play calling. Are they going to try to play their offense, or are they going to try to beat the Niners' defense? I think if the Bucks have a shot to win, it's because of their defense. I think 
their front seven is going to be able to handle the Niners' front seven. The Niners, vertically, they're not really a vertical team. They're they're going to get outside wide. They're going to keep everything compressed within the 10, 15-yard range. They'll hit the crossing routes to Ayuk and seams up to the Kittle, but, you know, they're really just going to motion McCaffrey, motion Debo. They're going to do everything to keep – they're going to trigger it, make it very – they're going to try to trick the Buccaneers. And I think the Buccaneers' front seven is fast enough and is going to, I think they have the best defense that's going to go up against them to match them the best, and that's how I think they'll be able to win. Yeah, it's kind of hard to stop them. So, yeah, I can agree with all you guys. Um, I believe that all odds are stacked against the Lions. I think just the inexperience that Jack was talking about for this, <coughs> these two NFC uh, divisional round games, I would assume that the Bucks have the the odds for this game, and then. I think the most interesting game of the NFC will be the Packers and 49ers. Especially since Shanahan and LaFleur both hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll be an interesting one to watch for sure. Switching gears over, the a- yes. over to the AFC, the number one seed Baltimore Ravens is hosting the number four seed Houston Texans. C.J. Stroud is getting his second opportunity in the playoffs. And then, of course... The matchup that is going to be the matchup of the weekend between Mahomes and Allen for, what, the fifth time in the playoffs now? (laughs) But this time, it's in Buffalo. So let's start out with that game. I think this is the first time Allen's truly had the edge in terms of strength of a roster. I mean, everyone, every year, it's always like, oh, the the last three years, it's been, oh, the Chiefs don't have the same thing they had the year before, and then they come out and have a top five defense because of a few moves they've made. and I'm, Steve Spagnuolo. Again, the Chiefs have a great defense, but it's really been proven this year that their offense has not been the same. Yeah. Watching those games, that offense hasn't been the same, and that comes down to teams figuring out the scheme and having a little help from the personnel because the Chiefs just don't have their guys that they used to. But that game is, I think, the first one in Josh Allen's career where, in total roster-wise, he's had the advantage. And... You know he's going to be a gunslinger. He's going to go out. He's going to throw some passes that probably aren't great. He's going to. He probably going to throw a pick. But he is an X factor. I saw something the other day where Josh Allen might have. He might have. I believe it's upwards of eighty turnovers in his career mm-hmm. since he's got it. But he also has in his career the largest margin between his total touchdowns and total turnovers out of any player since he's entered the league. And that's something that. On any given night, Josh Allen can give you four touchdowns, two on the ground, two in the air. He can give you five if he really feels like it. And I think this is going to be more of a defensive game than most people think as well because these they're two very good defenses. The Bills have left behind a little bit, but the Chiefs defense is really good, and Patrick Mahomes have been much more of a game manager mm-hmm. as of recent, yeah. just trying to move the ball downfield and going out of what his comfort zone is. Yeah, exactly. so... I think it's going to be a little bit of butting heads. I think they're both going to score early. Mm-hmm. That's how it always goes in those games. But I think middle of the game is going to kind of slow down, and we're going to see what teams really want to scheme it right and what teams really want to just play hard. Which one? I mean, going to Buffalo, this is Patrick Mahomes' first road playoff game that has not been the Super Bowl. So right. it's something new and something to look out for. So I think that's going to be another curveball for Mahomes. I don't know if he's played in Buffalo in his career yet, but... I don't think so. Yep. I mean, obviously, we can see that the cold doesn't really bother him after last week. But Dave. 
that atmosphere in Buffalo is different. You see it every year in the playoffs. So, and Taylor Swift won't be there. Thank <laughs> God. But I think that's going to be possibly a game of the year candidate there. That's going to be an exactly. amazing game. I mean, both teams got hot at the right times. Bills hotter than others, but mm-hmm. I think the Bills' momentum matched with the firepower that Patrick Mahomes brings Kansas City is going to make for a great game. I think Buffalo is. I have Buffalo winning this game. I, with it being in Buffalo and Mahomes' first road playoff game, not counting Super Bowls, which is a neutral site, the Bills have the better roster, like you said, Spencer. Um, Joe Brady has come in being the interim OC and has essentially just taken the ball out of Allen's hands throughout the end of the regular season and mixed it up more. And now that he's starting to go back to Allen, Allen's making up for that missed time, essentially. I, The thing that's going to allow the Chiefs to win this game if they do beat Allen again in the playoffs is the injuries on Buffalo's defense. Not having Tredavious White is a huge one. Of course, he's... Uh, probably a top seven corner in the league, top five corner in the league. Um, But the Chiefs just don't have the receivers they have in the past. Their number one receiver last week was Rasheed Rice. Mm -hmm. Which is dangerous. I think is kind of the main threat of any given defense that the, the Chiefs play. I think Buffalo is going to win this game. It'll be close. But I, I I can't see any possible way that Mahomes comes into Buffalo and it's going to be cold. It's going to be snowing. And, of course, Mahomes is used to the cold and the snow. But Buffalo has the edge in this game. They have the better roster. They have the better overall team. And we're going to see Allen in the AFC Championship. I mean, this is what the this is what the, the country wants to see, though, too. It's, I mean, the world wants to see whoever's watching. It's two top five quarterbacks in the league this season, two the number one and one B quarterbacks over the last five years, and the game's going to be in their hands. I truly do believe that. I know you're talking about how Josh Allen's had the ball taken out of his hands, and I'm sure they're going to try to set up a little bit more of a run game than they have in the past and against the Chiefs. But when it comes down to it, this game's going to be on the plays that those two quarterbacks make and I think that just makes for good football because we're going to see def- we're going to see defense we're going to see the flashing lights on offense we're going to see all this stuff but it's going to come down to the dudes being dudes and making plays I mean you know what Josh Allen can do he can bust off a 40 yard run for a touchdown on third and 15 just because he feels like it Patrick Mahomes is a wizard in the pocket he'll always find a way to extend plays so I think it's going to be a great game to watch. I think it's going to live up to the last couple that we've seen in the playoffs. Where I said earlier, when teams get hot, it's hard to stop them. That's where Buffalo is right now. As soon as they knew that they had a chance, as soon as they were 6-6, six and six, I think there were six or seven AFC teams that were all 6-6 six and six at one point. And Buffalo is a team that emerged out of that, ended up winning their division going 11-6. They went five straight at the end of the year. Yeah, I don't see him stopping anytime soon. Yes, Allen turns the ball over. He also scores most touchdowns in the league, mm-hmm. like you said. It's weird because they're winning games and they're not using Stephon Diggs. So I, I'm willing to see if, like, 
maybe they'll switch it up. Maybe they'll start throwing the ball a little bit more. But I don't really think this team it matters. Mm-hmm. Like we always talk about, every quarterback needs their number one guy. He isn't really. He's been throwing it to James Cook the most. Cook James and Kincaid, Cook, been, Shakir, like Kincaid, yeah. like <laughs> he's been throwing it to everyone else. But Diggs just gets all these bubbles, these quick out, all quick stuff. He gets six catches for twenty five yards. He gets five catches for thirty yards. You know, it's like. It's interesting, guys. They're winning games and they're not doing it the way they used to. Um, you know, obviously they fired their offensive coordinator. I think it was five or six games in the year. Ken Dorsey and Joe Brady took over the play calling, I believe. And um, it's weird. It's like they, Ken Dorsey must have been somewhat of an issue because now their offense has just been really good. And I mean, like you said about their defense, they've had they've just been decimated by injuries all season. Everywhere. And they still I everywhere. Mean, D-line linebackers like everywhere. Every every position group has had a significant D line or significant injury. And that's they're still that's, only allowing it in the game. Right. You know who hasn't even been playing? Juan Miller. Mm-hmm. The guy who was thirty two years old. They signed him for six years. Hundred something million dollars, I believe. He hasn't even been playing. He was just healthy scratch three weeks ago. Regular season game. Healthy scratch. Yeah. What's the recipe? How are they doing it? every every Variable is going against Buffalo right now, and they're just still winning games. That's the only reason why I can see it if they're going to lose a game. I, like you said, talent-wise, those are better. I would say pretty much almost everywhere. I would say that the, the Chiefs secondary is better. Maybe their linebackers. That's, I think the, the Bills' D-line is better. Offensively, I think they're better everywhere. Besides tight end, I still obviously Travis Kelsey's still a really good <laughs> tight end. Yeah. But it's gonna. It's that's the only way I can see Kansas City going into Buffalo and winning the game is if they're they just gotta get them on a bad day. Yeah. Buffalo has not had a bad Sunday or bad game. I don't know if they played on prime time or not in two months. Especially at home. Right. I think they feel it too. There's something a little bit different about them coming into the playoffs this year. It was like, I mean, one thing they had all the people on their back about, oh, you're the two seed or you're out of the playoffs, and everyone's kind of bagging on them. I was one of those people. I was saying it'd be insane to see them lose this game to the Dolphins, and then they came out, and there was really no problem in that game for them. And I think that well, they clinched the playoffs before that game because uh, yeah, Jacksonville because Jacksonville lost. lost. But yeah, mm-hmm. still, it's like they were either going to have to play a wild card game away, kind of similar to what happened to the. Uh, to the Eagles and they're going to have to play a wild card game away or they're the two seed in their conference and then I don't know that that Dolphins game was kind of a wake up call for the whole country and I mean I think this is they've had good teams the Bills have had really good teams making it to the AFC Championship but I think this is the closest they've felt to making the Super Bowl since the 90s I think this is really the one year where they're on the roll at the right time they're hot they haven't had any struggles yeah they have a few injuries but their quarterback's on top of his game their entire offense is on top of their game right now, and I think this is the momentum that they need to get that push to get back to the Super Bowl for the first time in 30 years. Looking down south uh, just a little bit, the Ravens are taking on C.J. Stroud and the Texans, and if you asked anybody a year ago if the Texans would be in the playoffs in the division around, I think everybody would have told you no. Stroud's coming in coming off of his first playoff win, a huge win over the Cleveland Browns, 45-14, to 14, I think it was. Um, I 
earlier on this season, the Ravens and the Texans played in week one. The Ravens won 25 to nine. I don't think we're going to see a similar thing this go around. Texans are a different team. They are a lot different team. Playmakers have emerged. CJ Stroud's comfortable. CJ Stroud looks like a five-year vet already. And that that team, that defense has gelled. Obviously, D'Amico Ryans knows how to use his players. I remember when Derek Stingley was a rookie, and everyone was kind of disappointed in his play. Sauce Gardner kind of stole the show, but that first year, Derek Stingley was in a Tampa 2 defense playing flat zones all season. They didn't use him in man coverage, and D'Amico Ryans came in and said, we're going to use your strengths. We're going to put you in man coverage. We're going to use a guy like Will Anderson, and we're going to stun him. We're going to disguise him. We're going to let him get one-on-one blocks every play, and it's working. I mean, Jalen Petre is uh, one of the better safeties in the game back there as well. That defense can hang with anybody right now. They've had their rough patches, but the last few weeks they've done great. And I think, again, uh, X Factor is CJ Stroud. Does he fold against a top defense in the playoffs? I mean, he went up against the number he one went defense against, and against the number didn't one defense fold. And so. fold. But can he do it again? I, I think he can. I have the Texans upsetting the Ravens. Wow. I think it's going to take three big plays for them. I think it, I think it's going to take maybe a big shot to Nico Collins. We've seen that the past two weeks. I think it's going to take one of those plays, maybe one or two of those plays, and they have a shot to beat the Ravens. If they can get one drive where they just walk it down the field in a couple of plays and score from their own 25, I think that's going to shock the Ravens, and I think that might be what they need. Stroud, I feel like, has more weapons than Lamar Jackson. Of course, Lamar Jackson's a threat on the ground. But the running back next to Lamar, who is it? Dalvin Cook now? I mean, they, they've they had injuries. <laughs> <laughs> injuries after injuries at the running back position. In terms of receivers, uh, including tight ends, Stroud has Nico Collins. He has Tank Dell. He has Robert Woods, he has Dalton Schultz, he has Brevin Jordan, he has Damian Pierce out of the backfield, he has Devin Singletary that can come out of the backfield. These might not sound like game breakers, they might not sound like big names, but Stroud and the offensive coordinator in Houston, I can't think of his name right Bobby now. Slowick. Yeah, they know how, he, knew, he knows how to utilize the weapons to their max potential, and like you said, looking downfield to Nico Collins, I don't think that the Ravens – I think it'll be a close game, but I think that the Texans are going to barely edge out the Ravens in advance to probably play Buffalo in the in the AFC Championship in Buffalo. There's, there's one person you didn't mention in that slate of the Houston Texans threats offensively was – Actually, a really good play last game was John Mishi the third. Mm-hmm. Mechie, that's my boy. Mechie, yeah, yes. He actually had a really good game last year. Very sneaky, underrated performance that I I noticed very early on. He he went off and had a really good game against the Browns, and I think that that will be a a thing to keep an eye on when they play the Ravens. Because he's kind of like a he comes out of the backfield sometimes as well as he'll go in the slot and he can go out in the in the uh, split, so I, that's another thing to be. I think a lot of teams kind of miss it now, and a lot of teams don't really utilize it the right way with some of the guys that they have, but when you have a six foot four receiver that runs a 4-4 four four 
and is 215 pounds with a long wingspan. You get the ball to him, you throw it up, and you mm-hmm. tell him to go make a play. And that's just what the Texans have been doing with Nico Collins, and it's working. They they come out usually. I mean, you saw the uh, the last game, the last game of the regular season, first play of the game. They come out, they run a deep post, they run a skinny post to Nico Collins, and it's a t- it's a 60 yard touchdown. Mm-hmm. That's just that's how they do things, and I think. That's something that a team needs to do to beat the Ravens. We saw the 49ers try to come out and play their short game, their conservative game, the way they usually do, and it doesn't work against a de- against a top defense the same way they did against the Browns. You have to come out and shock them. And I think the Texans do have a capacity to do that. Their O-line's healthy. Uh, C.J. Stroud gets the ball out quick. He makes good decisions. He's just a playmaker. He makes everyone on that offense better. And the Ravens have to make sure they don't get caught sleeping. I don't think they will. I think they they know too much, but, I mean, you saw what happened with Dallas. They're a higher seed. They thought they had an easy game, and it didn't happen that way. I don't think anyone thinks they have an easy game coming into the Texans, but Ravens better be ready to play from the jump. I wonder if the Ravens' methodical <coughs> drives in how they play is going to be the reason why that they're going to win the game. I think it will be. I think the longer C.J. Stroud sits on that bench, I think the better. What also fears me a little bit is they've had scoring drives, three plays, four plays, five plays. And listen, you don't need to have a 10 to 15 play drive but that every time. You don't need to do that. that that's, that's, but sustaining the way, how quick Houston scored against Cleveland is really hard to do. Yeah. Especially two pick when sixes. you have to put the defense out there against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Right. Two, yeah, two pick sixes. You had a deep shot to Nico, and they scored the next play. They had a four-play drive. Met you calling up the sideline. They scored two plays later. It's hard to keep that, but the Ravens play a different style of football than what the Texans do. I don't want to relate it too much to the Niners because I know D'Amico Ryans is his own guy. He calls his own defense. His own, his own head coach obviously has his own team. But the Ravens went into San Francisco. Actually, no, I believe it was at home. Anyways, it was San Francisco. It was San Francisco. They went into San Francisco like I originally thought. They beat him by two scores. On Christmas night, primetime football, Baltimore out-toughed them. I think they out-toughed San Fran. Four picks from your quarterback. I don't see Stroud throwing four picks like Purdy did. It's a little outrageous. And again, that Ravens defense has been playing some tricks on some of the best quarterbacks in the league. But I also well. do, like you said, I also think that the, I think that the Ravens coaching staff is very experienced. Harbaugh, obviously, has been to the big game. He's been to playoffs many times. Great battles with the Patriots back in the 2010s. <laughs> uh, Todd Malkin, the new OC, was at Georgia last year. Comes in and completely revamps the way Lamar plays football. Instead of Lamar, Lamar, they're a power scheme team but in a different way, I believe now. They got, like you said, I like I like the Ravens' weapons. I don't care how old, how old OBJ is. I don't care if Mark Andrews is coming Mark off. Mark Andrews is coming back. Come He's back practicing. that ankle injury. Mm-hmm. Likely's a dog, dude. Yeah. He yeah. would be a starter. I think he'd be a starting tight end on 20 NFL teams right a, now. He's a mass native. He's a dog. Everett Mass, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't care who they have a running back. Gus Edwards has proven to be a good running back for him for a few years. I'm on the Ravens train. I, I have been all the year. I think Lamar is such a stud. I've loved Lamar since the moment he was drafted, I swear to you. 
And like I said, it's going to be hard for Houston to go into Baltimore and beat, beat Baltimore. On their own turf, Houston plays inside, Baltimore plays outside. Little things like that matter. Good they do. Baltimore's been waiting for this. Baltimore's hungry. I, I think Baltimore's hungry. They've had Lamar's gotten hurt a couple of years, and they, they've felt like they didn't have a fair shot last year with Tyler Huntley being their quarterback. You know, people forget they were a wild card team with Tyler Huntley. Lamar missed final five of the regular season. He missed the wild card weekend. He missed six straight games. They still were a wild card team last year. I think this is the year Baltimore is going to do it. And I think, like I said, it's going to be hard for Houston to go into Baltimore and beat them. M&T Bank, it's going to be hard. To end this conversation with my argument for the Texans, I feel like Stroud has faced a better defense in his playing career. And he went toe-to-toe with them and lost by a field goal. That was Georgia. Moving on to our next topic. Um, we can move on from that. <laughs> uh, what boil some bridges. What's wrong with the Eagles? I'll tell you exactly what's the problem. Is that Shane Steichen isn't calling their plays anymore. Instead of calling out Nick Sirianni, I'm not a Nick Sirianni fan, but we'll leave it at that. A few more words, but we'll, we'll stick there. <laughs> Nick Sirianni was made because of his coordinators and his position players. His coordinators knew how to call great plays for their players to make plays. Right? A.J. Brown, say what you want about him not being in the game last week. That's okay. Say what you want about Jalen Hurts, the tush push, wherever you want. It boils down to Shane Steichen calling their offensive plays. Hurts didn't have a, Hurts didn't regress because Hurts has got worse as a player. I'm a believe, I'm a believer in people don't regress as players from one from being second in, second in MVP last year. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he should be should be mid top ten in the conversation. You know that doesn't happen in one season, especially a guy like Hurts who's 24, 24 to twenty five years old, prime of his career. That shouldn't be happening. Um, you know, having an actual play caller, I believe, is the reason why the Eagles fell off this year. Their defense still played pretty good. They're a little banged up. They have a lot of good guys to play with. So that's my comment. I think Shane Steichen was the reason. To I agree with that. Right across <laughs> the si- to go right across the sidelines in that game, you can see what happens. I mean. People was like people are all over Baker Mayfield as last year with the Browns. They made him play hurt. They played him in a bad scheme, and then he goes to two different teams. Played great for the Rams last year. Played amazing for the Rams, and he didn't even know the playbook. They just called good plays. The Buccaneers. Sean McVay, of course, is oh, of course. One but of the, the best. Buccaneers, they they catered to his play style, and I think Jalen Hurts had the play style. Like you said, Shane Steichen used him perfectly. A lot of a lot of designed runs scattered around. They wouldn't run them back to back, but on a second and five, they'd do a design run and it would work. And that was part of the reason he was so good because teams really had to worry about his legs. This year, I haven't seen him moving like that. With I mean, the, especially the last few games. I mean, he's been he's looked stuck in the pocket. He has, he's looked a lot less confident. And I think part of that's his play calling. I think he doesn't feel confident in the plays, like mm-hmm. Jack's saying. And I. I, I'm also with Jack here. I don't think players just get worse over here. I think players can have one great season because they're with a good coordinator. I think players can have one great season, but 
when you're consistently good and especially as young as he is when you come out of the gate and you're that good no one's ever really gone bad just because they had a lucky season this isn't baseball that happens in baseball but the nfl is just different if you're good you're good it doesn't really come down to luck there's not that much luck in football there's a lot of just using your head thinking and having the skill to do it and i think jalen hurts does but he needs to have a very certain type of offense and you can call him a system quarterback or whatever everyone wants to call him a system quarterback every player in the nfl is a system player there's a select few players in the nfl who could go to any team and be as good as they are but i think a lot of people take play calling for granted in general you see guys like d hop go bounce around teams and i mean they say oh he's not he's not the same player anymore he might be losing a step but when they call the plays to him down the field he makes plays so makes plays. it's just how do you get the ball in these guys hands how do you get the ball out of these guys hands as quarterbacks i mean jared goff bounces around to the lions they use him perfectly he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league right now again back to baker mayfield he just beat the life out of the Philadelphia Eagles in a playoff game at home and he was having fun while he was doing it Jalen Hurts had a bad game didn't look confident you can blame it on his on a, on a dislocated finger everything he said it didn't bother him I'm going to take his word for that because he's been an honest guy but you gotta cater to your players and I think again Sirianni had a little bit too much in the organization, in the in the scheme of things, I think he has hand in that a little bit too much. As a head coach in the NFL, you expect them to have a hand in it, like guys like Bill Belichick. But not every coach is built like that. And let me get this straight first. I'm not a big Jalen Hurts guy. I never thought Jalen Hurts was all that. Like I said, I think his true colors came out. If I'm being honest, he's talented, no doubt. He went was at Bama. He won at Bama. Went to Oklahoma. Won at Oklahoma. No doubt. Came in the NFL, beat you had eventually got the starting job, won games, went to a Super Bowl. I'm not taking it away from him. He's a talented player. I think he's a little bit overrated for who he is as I, a player. I, I agree with you on that. But Agreed. but I give credit where credit's due for what he's done. But the true colors came out a little bit, I believe. Again, play calling, people take it for granted. I look into play calling. You can call the right plays, get your good players the ball in the proper, get the good players the ball in proper situations, down the distance, time, of course, in the quarter, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, There's a lot that goes into it. You talk about the right play calling, go for an extreme example. You remember when Peyton Manning got hurt that one season, Brock Osweiler got himself a $80 million deal. Mm-hmm. And again, that that's that's one of the, the situations where great play calling makes player look great. So... I agree with you on that. I don't think Jalen Hurts. I don't think Jalen Hurts is a top five quarterback. I, last year, I still wasn't buying it. He just had the right scheme around him. I think any any competent NFL quarterback, we're gonna not name names about guys who couldn't, but I think a lot of these solid NFL quarterbacks could lead an MVP, lead an MVP candidacy, and be top three, top five in voting if they get the right coordinators. So. Do I think Jalen Hurts will ever reach the heights that he did last season again? No, unless some, unless he somehow gets back with that same type of offense. But even then, again, he's had some injuries here and there, and I just think confidence is a hard thing to get back in the NFL. I think we can all agree on that, and it looks like he's lost it. It doesn't look like he's playing with that same trust in himself and his teammates that he has, and 
that's been the downfall of a lot of guys in the National Football League. One last thing before we move on to the eventual number one overall pick, Chicago Bears. I think one thing Philly doesn't know is how to lose. I don't know if they know how to lose. Sirianni throws tantrums on the sideline constantly when things aren't going their yeah. way. But when they go his way, he's a store winner. You see the video of him running out of the locker room, screaming right in front of the camera, taunting people. I don't know if he knows how to lose. Now, listen, uh, Sirianni isn't a representation of the Philadelphia Eagles team. But when you have a guy acting like that, yes, they're grown men. But again, he's the head coach for a reason. All of your players can respect the head coach regardless of who he is. Maybe. Sometimes they don't respect their head coach. But that's, that's usually when things start to dissipate in a franchise, right? I don't, I don't know if he should be there. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if he should be the, uh, the head coach of Philadelphia. With all the openings that there are as well, I don't know if there's enough of an argument to keep him if you can go get one of the guys that's out there. I mean, you're, we were talking earlier about uh, that, um, geez, that Cowboys defense. We were, ta- we were talking about, uh, what's his name? Dan Quinn. Yeah, Dan Quinn. He's taking interviews. Guys like Vrabel are out there. If you can go get one of those guys over a Nick Sirianni, which it sounds like we're kind of getting a little Nick Sirianni slander here, but still, if you can can go get a Mike Rabel, do it. It's only going to make your team better. You saw what he did with the Titans. He turned that whole franchise around. No doubt. And he led that team to a pretty decent season with almost no talent on that team besides Derrick Henry and Mm -hmm. DeAndre Hopkins. So, I don't know, Kevin Byard on defense – just give him his uh, give him his flowers over there. But if you have guys like that out in the coaching tree, if you want to interview interview Harbaugh out of Michigan, interview Vrabel, talk to these guys, see if they're interested. And if they are, I don't see a reason to keep Sirianni around. He hasn't shown that he's a difference maker. It's like, like you said, it's, it's the coordinators, like, it's his it's players. Not like it's a job that's not going to be favored upon people. Holy crap, the Philadelphia Eagles, who have a top five roster in the league, that team have, was a, have a head coach year. opening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm in, right? To close out that conversation on the Philadelphia Eagles, going back to the Shane Steichen thing, looking at what he did in Indianapolis with Gardner Minshew at quarterback, I mean, Gardner Minshew should be a starter somewhere. Um, is it in Indianapolis? No, because they have Anthony Richardson, but he could be a starter on any other team right now that is a desperate need for a quarterback. The Patriots, who we'll get into in a few moments, but the Colts are one catch away yeah. from being in the playoffs and knocking out the Houston Texans. Right. So transitioning on over to the Patriots, talking about this quarterback, they hold the number three pick in the draft. They just parted ways with head coach Bill Belichick and hired Gerard Mayo. Before I get your opinions on the Gerard Mayo hiring, this just came out from his introductory press conference today. This happened about, I think it happened about like an hour ago. Yeah, from Robert Kraft said, this is from Mark Daniels. Robert Kraft said he's, he's had the same conviction when it comes to hiring Bill Belichick, marrying his wife, and now hiring Gerard Mayo. I've learned to trust my instincts throughout my career. <laughs> so He's, uh, one thing so interesting. So I, I mean, one thing I have to say about Gerard Mayo though, name a below average inside linebacker that's played for the Patriots since twenty nineteen. Every guy that stepped into that role has played great. And I'm not worried for our defense at all. 
he's basically been the coordinator for the last couple of years. Not whether, calling it. Whether it's been, but you know he has a hand in those plays. He has to. He's He was a very vocal guy. He was a great leader when he was there. And I think the Patriots need a leader. They need someone that their players can relate to. I think we're out of the Bill, obviously we're out of the Bill Belichick era, but I think we're out of the old Patriot way era. I think these players need to be shown that there's someone that they can believe in and relate to, especially on the offensive side, to just something that some guy that believes in them that's been in their shoes, that's played for the team before. I think it brings a new atmosphere to the team. I think it's going to be beneficial, but I think Gerard Mayo is going to be a really good NFL head coach if he gets the right personnel behind him. Now, you mentioned Mayo having a hand in the defensive play calling. Mike Reese and uh, I forget the other guy's name. His first name's Seth. Seth Wickersham came out with a report saying that after Mayo signed his extension with the Patriots and the whole thing with the contract, um, with Kraft putting in Mayo's contract, that he's going to be Belichick's successor. Mike Reese came out and Seth Wickersham both said that this past season there was extremely limited contact between Belichick and Mayo, and he and Belichick wouldn't even talk to Mayo during the games. Belichick has been the primary defensive play caller for the Patriots, and the Patriots had defensive success throughout Belichick's entire career. Mm-hmm. Mayo and his son Steve Belichick both shared play calling duties essentially for the Patriots defense. And yeah, they can say that, but how much of it is Belichick and how much of it is Mayo slash Steve Belichick? My counter argument to that would be that Gerard Mayo's been in the system since 2008. He had his whole playing career with the Patriots. His entire coaching career has been with the Patriots. I believe it was 2008 he was drafted. But when you've been in the system for that long, and I mean, you're play, you're the quarterback of the defense at inside linebacker the way he was, he was the guy. He was a captain. He was everything to that defense in the late in the late two thousands, early twenty tens. You gotta pick you gotta pick it up at that point. And I think if he's being trusted, I know Kraft's getting old, might be a little bad on some judgment calls, but if he's trusted to step into that role as much as he is and the people in the organization believe in him the way that I think some people have shown that they do, you they they know more than we do. Obviously, the organization knows more than we do. No matter what people want to speculate, no matter what these reporters say, inside the organization always knows what they're doing. I think Gerard Mayo has had to pick up either at least some of the tendencies, even if he wasn't calling the plays himself. I mean, a guy that has a career shortened a little bit by injuries and shortened a little bit by age, and he comes in and immediately coaches, you know he wants to learn from whoever he's with and staying with the organization you know he he learned from Bill Belichick while he was playing learned while he was here and even if they don't talk they had those years of knowledge shared between them so even if they didn't talk last season you're still on the sidelines you're still seeing how that defense is called and knowing you're going to be a successor you're going to pay attention to the way that the guy ahead of you calls plays especially when it works as well as Bill Belichick's defenses have I mean the whole thing is I saw Colin Coward say that they're writing a new chapter of the same book. I agree. Which, I could see why. The only way I could see this not being just a repeat of Bill Belichick is for two reasons. A, he's probably 40 years old. 
Obviously, Belichick's... 37, I believe. Right. He's, he's in the league I think, nine months younger than Sean Two McVay. Months. Two months, I believe it is. Nine, nine weeks. Something like that. Either way, he's, he's late 30s, so he's obviously going to be able to relate to players a little bit more. He played the game, which Belichick didn't play. He played He did cross. in the 50s. He played, <laughs> yeah, right. At... I don't, I don't remember where. He played at Wesley in college. I'm yeah. Connecticut. I'm pretty sure he played lacrosse. I don't think he played football. Maybe he played both. I don't know. Anyways, two reasons that this is going to work is because of his age. You see a trend of younger coaches all around sports, everywhere. Younger coaches that can relate to the new game. Might have been why Pete Carroll got fired, right? Let go, quote-unquote, right? <laughs> Second reason why is the second reason why is I feel like he, the Patriot way is going to be there, in a in a newer fashion, mm-hmm. right? There's still going to be. There's still going to be the same, standard, of what there's going to be in New England. Mayo played for it. Mayo won rings under it. He knows it works, right? But Gerard Mayo's 37 years old. He's going to be able to bring in guys that are going to be mid 20s, relate to him be like this is how shit works this is how stuff worked when i was playing in new england right (laughs) right yeah the way it's not going to work is if he doesn't modernize what he's doing Mm -hmm. which i would find really hard to do right as as a guy as young as he is right yeah now he has to bring in a guy who's in a call offensive place i don't know who that's going to be they're have, they have to bring in a GM that's going to be able to work with Toronto. So one thing I've seen about that, sorry to cut you off, but one thing that's kind of upset me, I've talked to a, lot of, uh, a couple of you guys about this, but the whole Matt Gross situation, who has been our offensive consultant pretty much for our drafting and scouting and signing all these players and stuff, and a lot of people want to say my opinions on this are pretty strong. I don't think Matt Gross should be a part of this organization. He's been... Uh, mostly in charge of offensive scouting, signing, stuff like that. And our offensive draft picks since he's been hired have been some of the worst in the league. And you can say that on Bill Belichick picking the wrong guy, even if it was him. But when you're head of scouting and head of just operations on the offensive side is telling you to pick these guys, you pick them. Head of scouting is Elliot Wolf. I think I saw something. Not director not, of player personnel is Matt Grow. Yeah, I know. I saw something about him having a hand in the selections for um, for the offense, though. I don't know how. I don't know what that is, but it came out earlier this it's season. It's like a committee is yeah. the way that the Patriots okay. did it with Belichick um, after Belichick decided to listen to more um, people. Yeah, more yeah. people get yeah. another opinion instead of doing his own thing. Yeah. Right? But again, which happened with the Mac Jones pick, Belichick didn't want Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. He wanted to wait for Davis Mills, and this has been confirmed by multiple yeah. reports. And he decided to listen to people for the Mac Jones pick. Um, I don't know who the Patriots would have picked there. Everybody thinks it would have been Micah Parsons. Anybody else? But going, but, I mean, going yeah. on with that. Most reports are saying that Kraft is staying with Matt Groh and the other the rest of that committee, and I don't think that's a good idea. I think you need to bring someone new in. I mean, the roster, the defensive, how much of the defense has been roster building and how much of the defense has been scheme is obviously up in the air. Obviously, we have some great players in defense, Christian Gonzalez, Judon, Kyle Duggar, but... Barmore. 
Christian Barmore, really Dietrich yeah. Wise, guys like that. We can draft but defense, we can't draft an offense. Exactly, and I think that comes down to the guys in the building. And I think you can't just sit here and realize that offense is the problem and have the same guys that have been offensive consultants run operations now, be the general manager. You can't have that because it seems like it's been the problem. So with that, it kind of scares me because Kraft has said right now he feels confident in their abilities until they find a GM, if they find a GM. So it's tough. I think you have to not necessarily clean house, but you have to bring someone in that's going to take more of a control over every other NFL team has a general manager except the Patriots they've done it by committee the last few years but it was Bill Belichick so we kind of need to what you're saying with modernizing things we can't stay in that in that kind of limbo of just having a committee make the picks and stuff you have to have one decisive guy and I think we just need to bring someone new in, someone outside the organization not networked with us someone that has had different experiences Speaking of GM, Dave Ziegler is still the the former Patriots GM. He was with the Raiders. He is a free agent, if you will, in the GM yeah, thing. He just got let go, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. right around when McDaniels mm-hmm. was right. let go. They came in together too, so that's mm-hmm. another swing miss by uh, Al Davis. In that conference, Davis, in that conference slide, that, that uh, press release conference that we were just talking about, Robert Kraft did say he was asked who will make the final decisions for the Patriots regarding the roster, and Kraft said, "In the short term, we're looking at collaboration." So. Right. With collaboration in mind, we'll get a short break for a station identification. You're listening to WNRCLP Dudley Webster on 97.5 FM. That's our guy. We are back with the Bison Boys podcast as well as WNRCLP Dudley Webster 97.5. We are back talking about this up-and-coming draft with the Patriots having the third pick and some free agency action. So, free agency is starting for the Patriots, and that'll start around, like, March. Um, Who do you guys think that the Patriots should pick with, I mean, not pick, should sign in free agency first? I mean, you got to look at all options. I mean, really, it's going to come down to what if if by February, March, when free agency centers start ramping up, if Chicago ends up trading that pick to someone, that's going to completely change your game plan. If the draft order stays where it's at, there's a pretty good chance. I wouldn't even. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Chicago just. If they commit the fields, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep it and take Marvin Harrison. I mean, yes, if they trade, if they are going to convince, hey, Washington, we're taking Caleb Williams, do you want him? What are you going to give me? They're going to get the number two pick. They're going to get another first in the future, et cetera, et cetera, right? That changes everything up because that means that, that means you're going to get, you might get a QB at three. You might get Drake May at three if that's what you really want, right? Obviously, the number one pick, I would say, is Marvin Harrison. I truly, th- I truly think he's going to be a difference maker in the league. It might take a little bit, but I think talent-wise, is one of the best receivers we've seen come out of the draft in a while, right? Ohio State, Brian Hartline, wide receiver U, people might call it, right? I think Bama's a little bit better, but that's off topic. 
if that's the case, if we'll say hypothetically Chicago trades up or trades back with Washington, Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison, you got to go Drake May. I don't care if he's signed a quarterback or not. Then, then what do you do, right? You have Mac Jones and Zappy still on the roster. I, I, I'm not saying cut Mac Jones, but you can't play him. Regardless, I'm just saying he can't. I don't think in any any world he can be our quarterback going forward. And like not to get off topic, but I don't think it's truthfully all his fault. It's just how the cards have been played out for him. Yeah. I just don't think he can be our quarterback going forward. And I'd say if you can get younger at quarterback through the draft, do it. Why not? If we have an early second round pick, guys like Bo Nix or someone's available, maybe, maybe I don't know, Penix's draft stock probably rose like crazy, but you know, if someone's there day day two, early day two, take him too. All right, what happens? What's what's the worst thing you drop the guy there? He's yeah. a bust? Okay. Like, <laughs> that, I'm, we're used to that at this point, are we not, right? So I think really in, in the draft, there's only room for improvement for the Patriots, which I think is the good part. Um, the tricky part is is that I don't want to go into free agency try to sign a veteran guy like Minshew or you get a Brissett or you get someone uh, Kirk, that's 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 a good back good back. Yeah. I don't think Kirk's gonna leave Minnesota. That's why I, I mentioned his name. Yeah, I don't think I don't. I think they'll resign him. I think Jefferson loves Kirk, so that's why. Mm-hmm. But if you go in free agency and you try to commit to someone like that, and then it's a question mark going in because you don't know what Chicago's gonna do. Right? It's a very very deep draft class, very good draft class that is up in the air with right now because the Bears aren't going to commit to Williams or, or Fields yet. They haven't done it. The season just ended two weeks ago, you know? So I think if the draft order stays where it's at, I say you try to get Marvin Harrison if you can. If not, I would try to get Drake May at three. What they're going to do, if oh, no. history repeats itself, we're going to trade back and take Joe Alt from Notre Dame, which isn't terrible. But... You gotta look. You gotta look yeah. everywhere. Or Pashanu. When's the last time the Patriots draft like a skill player high? Besides like Mac Jones, if you consider him a skill player. Nikhil Harry. <laughs> Nikhil Harry. Okay, that was great. Right. Sony oh, Michelle. That was great too. For what three games in the three playoffs? <laughs> I love Sony too. Don't get me wrong. Sony great, Michelle. He's the only patch jersey I got left right now. Me too. I right? think. I think something that the organization as a whole needs to take a turn with the draft, and I'm speaking draft as a whole, first through seventh round. Once you get your guy, say you, we have our guy, we get a Drake May. Like you were saying, if Caleb and Marvin are gone, you take Drake May. Because we have to start looking at best player available. Don't you see all Caleb. these teams, everyone tries to... You've seen it lately. So many teams are trying to plug in those players, pick these guys at their position. They have their boards and all that. But recently, all these teams that have taken best player available, these have they've turned out to be good teams. And... Obviously, in the past, the Patriots have been way too position selective with their draft picks early on. I mean, Cole Strange is an example of it. Just, yeah, we needed that, but we didn't need it in the first round. There we were way better Cole players Strange. there. We didn't, yeah, right. We, we needed. We didn't need to trade need back and reach for another exactly. guy. You know what I'm saying? But I think we the the focus needs to shift to just taking best player available when you can. If there's a guy there that is a stud and it's going to be a stud or that you know you can coach up that little bit extra to get him to be a stud in the NFL, take him. Don't take shots. Don't take shots in the dark at guys with potential or guys that went to small schools, but they could definitely be great because they were great at these small schools. If you have a big-name guy that was a big-name guy in college, a big play guy, take him. That's what we need. We need offensive. We need offensive firepower. 
if we do decide to trade back and Joe Alt's the best player there, it helps. But I don't think we give up that third pick. I think we use it to take best player available. They should do. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like to go off of the whole offseason, the first thing you need to do is re-sign Michael Winner, who's arguably our best lineman mm-hmm. last year. I would probably say he is. And go out and get a guy like Jonah Williams to get to put him at the other tackle position. Um after signing those two, Duggar's a must. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Kendrick Bourne has uh Kendrick has Bourne's has another conversations. one. Um Uche to put on the other side of Judon. And then from there you can play games. Whatever you do at running back, of course you're going to have, still have Stevenson there, but to have another number two guy, if he wants to come back cheap, they're going to draft someone. If they if he wants to come back cheap, get Elliott. At three, if he's there, you pick Marvin Harrison to start building around whoever you're going to draft at quarterback. That will put your weapons as Marvin Harrison and Kendrick Bourne on the outside with Demario Douglas in the slot. Tight end is always a uh, up in the air thing where you could bring back Mike Gesicki, you could bring back Hunter Henry, or you can bring in an outside guy. In the second round, that's where you grab your quarterback because this is a very deep quarterback class. Mm-hmm. Bo Nix is there. Uh, Bo, N- Bo Nix would likely be there. JJ McCarthy. No. No. Yes, I'm, I'm with no. I'm with Jack on this one. Michael Penix, <laughs> and there was one other guy that was in my mind, but I can't think of is it right Daniels? now. Daniels, or you think he'll probably be first? Daniels, Daniels will be a, Daniels Daniels will be a top will be, pick. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I. You guys say no for J.J. McCarthy. I don't think he's going to be a star quarterback in the no, league. I don't. But J.J. McCarthy is that game manager type of guy. So he, is Mac Jones. I That's think McCarthy opinion. has more more to him than Mac Jones. Definitely. Did. Definitely more mobile. He's really good at hand the ball up. But Exactly. But even when we saw it in the Alabama game, McCarthy could <laughs> drive the team down the field. He can. And I... I just don't think it's Michael Pratt too. Gonna, might be the other I don't guy think you're thinking of. Yeah, him. I just think we need a guy that's had a little more experience leading a team. Where yes, JJ McCarthy has led that team, but they relied on Blake Corum. They relied on Donovan Edwards. That's just how it went, and especially in that national championship game, they relied on their run game. And I think sure the Patriots might be able to do that, but I think we need a quarterback that's had experience picking up a team that might be underperforming before him and raising them because that's what we are like we're Bo a team, someone like Bo Nix someone obviously like Drake May early on if we do decide to go with him at three but I, I can see if Marvin's there take Marvin we don't we can get a quarterback I would ideally like to see either Bo Nix or J.J. McCarthy in that second round. I would lean Bo Nix in that just because of what he did with Oregon whereas J.J. McCarthy and he's a better passer yeah J.J. McCarthy just We've seen a lot of this stuff before. You've seen a quarterback win a national championship, get drafted, and he's just not that great because the roster around him was just so stacked in college it kind of made the game a little bit easy for him. I'm surprised that, I mean, obviously his stock is the highest that it's been, but I wouldn't have been upset. I wouldn't have been – I would have understood if he stayed for another year just to show that he can be that playmaker. I don't think he showed that he can be – a consistent playmaker that can be a game changer for teams. I mean, in the words of Cam Newton, a lot of these guys are game managers. I think he's one of those guys. 
I don't think he's a guy that can step in and change a game. I think Drake May has that potential. I think guys like Bo Nix have that potential. Bo Nix might be a little bit farther away, but I think Bo Nix has the potential like someone like that who can step in and just be an X factor on the field. Historically, you've seen a lot of very good running backs come through New England, and Stevenson's no exception to that. The Patriots historically have gone towards a more run-centered offense, even with Brady here. But Brady had that edge to him where if we're down, he can bring us back in the game. Mm -hmm. He can throw the ball, and he's going to be a threat through the air. With Stevenson still here, I mean, looking in the past, we had LeGarrette Blunt, we had James White, we had Deion Lewis, we had Lawrence Maroney, we had Corey Dillon, we had J.R. Redman in 2001, we had Curtis Martin. The list goes on. The list goes on. Um, if you can get a guy that he might not be a superstar passer, he's not going to be a Joe Burrow, he's not going to be a Patrick Mahomes, he's not going to be anything like that, but a guy that if you need him to throw the ball, he's not going to throw the ball 30-plus times a game. I'd be happy if he throws it 25 minimum or between like that 25-35 mark per game in attempts. If you can get a guy like that, you're going to win a lot more games and just build around him, especially if you get Marvin Harrison at three if he's there. Then you have that number one receiver, Kendrick Bourne has proven to be a solid number two receiver. I mean, he's been the number one in New England for the last three seasons. Um, build around whoever your quarterback's going to be, even if you stick with Mac Jones this year and wait for a guy like Quinn Ewers next year. Build around the quarterback so you can set yourself up for a better future. No doubt. I mean... I think it's just going to depend on the offense. Whoever he, whoever they're going to say is going to be calling plays on offense is going to want certain guys that are going to fit. Yeah. I'm an Oregon fan. You guys, obviously, this has been well-known. I love Bo Nix, the way he plays. He runs a college offense, though. Up-tempo, spread everyone out. Do that. That's not what the NFL is. And, yes, I'm sure he can run the NFL offense. I'm sure that, that he has the capability to do so and, or could be developed to do so eventually, right? J.J. McCarthy, I don't, I'm just going to skip over it. I might even get into that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I don't think he's that great. Congrats in the ring. It's awesome. I don't think he's that great. Whoever they bring in to call plays is going to be the one that's going to want certain people. Again, like we just talked about briefly, who knows if they're, if they're going to listen to him. But you got to build your roster around what you have as a play caller and as a coach. And whatever he wants to do, I think, should be considered, depending on who it is, you know, right? But it's, it's really hard to tell right now. Like we said, we want Marvin Harrison at three. I can see the commanders picking Marvin Harrison yeah. over Drake May if, they, if that's mm -hmm. the case, right? They come out season. notably to want Caleb Williams if he's not the number one pick. I think those the way those first two picks go DC determines a lot for the future of the franchise. Because, and I don't know if we can trust them to make the pick, but if Marvin's there, you take Marvin. He's a generational receiver, and there's no question about it. That's one, 
one thing we've seen is these receivers that are good in college don't have problems with drops, and we can everyone can talk about how Quentin Johnson Johnson was supposed to be a good receiver. Now he's drop problems. He had drop problems in college. Marvin Harrison has never had drop problems. He's never had route running problems, and receivers lately have been pretty spot on with the way they've been scouted. We haven't seen a, we've seen surprise guys, but we haven't seen a lot of busts that everyone thought were going to be great players. Mikhail Harry and Tyquan Thornton. No one thought they were going to be great players. players. No one looked at them and said they're generational. Marvin Harrison is a generational talent. Joe Belichick did. (laughs) Marvin Harrison is a generational talent. He is currently unemployed, so that is unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't don't think it will be long for him to be employed. Again, I just hope we can trust them to make those picks of best player available. Talking about the draft, our last topic today is Chicago for the second straight year technically, holds the number one pick after they traded it last year to the Carolina Carolina, Panthers. And now they have the Carolina Panthers first round pick this year, which is the number one overall pick. What should Carolina, uh, what should Chicago do at number one? I think Carolina should try to get another first round pick. But Chicago, listen, I wanted Fields out of the draft. I was very upset when the Pats, the Bears traded up, jumped the Patriots, Took Justin Fields. I was upset. I thought Fields yeah. was a great player. I'm big on Ohio State. Like I don't know, I just, Ohio State. I think they're cool. Like I don't know. It was. It's weird. I always thought Ohio State's cool. I thought their players would be good. Jack's I, Big Ten team. Yeah, right. But they Oregon beat them that year, though. We'll make that. Or they beat Stroud. Anthony Brown beat Stroud the next year. That's okay. <laughs> it's the only time I didn't move for Ohio State. <laughs> but anyways, I, I like Justin Fields. I don't think in this draft class you can't go wrong with no. with trading back. Right, there's so many good receivers. There's so many good linemen. They need everything and anything you can get. And I don't think quarterbacks one of those things. Right, I would agree. Now, where you trade it to is a big thing. You trade it to Washington, like we just mentioned. You trade back a spot. Washington takes Caleb Williams, DMV native. Great, he's home. Awesome. You're sitting at number two. You take Marvin Harrison, no doubt. Right, but what if, what if some team in the top ten? Wants Caleb Williams. What if they want to jump in and grab him? What if Oakland's like, or uh, excuse me, Vegas is like, mm-hmm. we want Caleb Williams to play in Vegas? I wouldn't be Denver. surprised. I wouldn't yeah, be surprised Denver. if that Chicago the jumps back say. there and looks for one of those two tackles, either Joe Wall or um, Giants. I Fashano. Oh, Fashano. I always forget how to say his name. But. And the Bears need a lot, right? They're not a complete team by any means, but they have what it, what it'll be. They have pieces that can bring them places. They have solid veterans everywhere. They have a young guy youngish guy in fields who is proven to be a solid quarterback with peace he hasn't had pieces around him. Rather, right? You trade back with Denver, you trade back with Oakland, you get I don't know, I don't even know I don't even know what, what Vegas is right now. I think they're like six or seven. They're thirteen I think. Oh they're that far back? Oh. Yeah, Denver's twelve. Uh, thirteen. All right, 13. so say say there's a team in the top ten. I don't have the draft pulled up with me right now. I'll actually pull it up right now. I don't. Bears. Looking commanders. at the top ten, Patriots. Uh, the only other team I could see picking a quarterback is the Giants. Yeah. It's the Bears, Washington, New England, Arizona. Oh yeah, the Falcons. Um, L.A. the charge. L.A. Chargers. Again, the Bears also have, yeah, they have another pick. People, I think that's something a lot of people get about. The Bears also have nine. So, Dallas Turner. It, it's just one of those things where put him on the other side of Montez Sweat. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where you you just look at it and 
I think the only way the Bears go wrong is drafting Caleb Williams. I don't believe he's the answer for that franchise. Do you think they go wrong drafting another quarterback? I think they go wrong drafting a quarterback. I think Justin Fields has shown he's done enough and he's had enough flashes, which we call them, we have to call them flashes because he hasn't been super consistent, but where he can show that he can be a good NFL quarterback and at times he can show flashes of greatness. And I think if he gets someone that does something similar that the Ravens have done with Lamar and tell him to protect himself, stay in the pocket, and just refine your passing. He'll be a great, he'll be a good quarterback, and he'll be close to that great if he gets the right situation. But you need to build around him. The Ravens built around Lamar very quite recently, and look where it got them. They got him as receiver. He has a great tight end, a great O-line, and their running game's great. If you can give that to Justin Fields, I don't think he'll be as good as Lamar, but I think they'll be a playoff team if you can get him a good O-line and a couple of elite weapons. So let's say they trade back to eight. I'll go back to what I was saying. They trade back to eight with Atlanta. Atlanta moves up, gets Caleb Williams, right? They're sitting at eight. They're going to get another first-round pick next year. They'll probably get a second round. Maybe they get, what if they do the same thing last year? They get another player, another good player. What if they get Kyle Pitts? Throw Kyle Pitts in there? Or you do something like that? What's You know what I'm saying? Like They they could do whatever they want. Trade back, get a lineman, but you also need another skill player to go with him. But when you're sitting there, you have eight and nine. There's a lot of places they can go with that. Exactly. No I doubt. think if I'm Atlanta, I'm trading Chris Lindstrom before I'm trading Kyle Pitts just because I feel like it's easier to find. Come on, Dudley Nave, you can't trade him. Come on now. I feel like it's easier to find an offensive lineman to fill that spot than find a top-tier tight end like Kyle Johnny Smith. I'm going to say, I'm going to argue the other way with that, with the amount of tight ends that have come out of the draft recently. I mean, there's guys in the draft this, there's guys in the draft this year, there's going to be guys in the draft, exactly, there's going to be guys in the draft next year, and I think it's been shown more recently that it's easier to find a serviceable to good tight end than it is to find a good center. I mean, a lot of these teams have, so many teams have these O-line problems that they just can't figure out, but a lot of tight ends just kind of come out of the woodwork at the start of every season and are just good. Think back to Green Bay, Robert Tunyon, guys like that. They kind of just, I, th- I think it's easier to replace Kyle Pitts than it is to replace Chris Lindstrom. I think Chris Lindstrom is going to be a great, uh, great for 10, 15 years. I think you can find maybe not another Kyle Pitts, but someone that can be used on the level that they used him because obviously they don't throw the ball to him anyways right now. I only say Chris Lindstrom because he is 28 and just signed a big deal a year or two ago with the Falcons. That's going to free up a lot of cap space because they also signed Jesse Bates to a big contract last offseason. One of the best signings in the league, by the way. That was great for that team. Their backup guard on the other side. On the other side, they have Matt Hennessy. I can't think of the name of the guy backing up Matt Hennessy slash Lindstrom, but he's been serviceable. I mean, Atlanta can always pick a guard in the second round where that solves one of the big issues for Justin Fields is not having an O-line. Cody Whitehair for the Bears is getting up there in age. I believe he's going to turn 32 or 33 this year. Mm -hmm. And he's on the verge of retirement where you get a solid lineman, one of the best offensive linemen in the league to put on right protecting Justin Fields at right guard. That gives Fields more opportunity to do exactly what you said and build around Fields. 
remember the Bears have Cole Komet. Cole Komet's mm -hmm. not a bad tight end at all. I mean, my argument's coming from more of the Falcons' perspective. I think the Falcons would be more, maybe not more willing to give up hits, but I Jake think it'd Matthews. be very hard for them to let go of Hedstrom. <laughs> I think it'd be very hard for them to let go of Chris Lindstrom just because really in today's league, we don't see centers move. And there's a reason for that. They've become an integral part of the offense. Obviously, the center is the one making a lot of line calls, line adjustments, and that's something that's scheme by scheme. So I think it's hard to let a guy go like that. And I mean, not a lot of centers just kind of step into an empty role and are good. When you see these O-linemen go down, a lot of times the most impactful injuries are obviously left tackle, because that's one of the hardest positions to play in sports. Shout out to the Heisman. Yeah. <laughs> and center. You don't see backups step in and play great at center just because it's that game experience in your scheme on your team is very important at that position. So when you have a guy like Chris Lindstrom who's done it for years and has another five solid years in him because – Linemen always tend to go into their mid-30s somehow. I don't know how they do it with all that banging. Jason Kelsey. Yeah. yeah. And Happy trails. I think I, th I think they just have a harder time giving up Lindstrom. But I agree with Jack saying that Chicago should try to go for a talented player from Atlanta or anybody else if they try to do that. Because obviously if you can get a guy who's proven they can do it in the league, that's a little bit safer than picking a guy in the draft who we don't know how he's going to be in the league. Tell you what. I'm not an NFL GM, but <laughs> one more hypothetical that I would do, like like I said, Denver or Vegas earlier, 12-13 in that order, right? Trade back with Raiders, Raiders than a one overall pick. If they really want Caleb Williams, that's fine. I don't know. I mean, Aiden O'Connell is really not that great. He's a placeholder, right? Mm -hmm. I think, at least. <laughs> Get number 13. I don't yeah. think Mark Davis agrees with you. Well, Mark Davis is... Not a great owner. You should focus on hiring a GM and a head coach first before right. anything else, right? So let's 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 play a game, okay? They get they get the Raiders picked. They have nine and thirteen. That means they'll probably get an extra first rounder next year. Probably a couple seconds, maybe two firsts next year. The year after that, they'll they'll get a haul. They have the golden ticket sitting in their hands. Their chance they want to swipe it or not. They really can't go too wrong. There's only only a couple. There's only probably one way you can mess it up. Is by trading back and just swing and miss on your picks, right? Or picking quarterback. I guess so, Spencer, right? Yeah. <laughs> so say they do that, they trade back, they get number nine, they get a wide out. Roma Dunze, Malik Neighbors, get him another guy. Stack draft class, by the way. Right, <laughs> right. Number 13, take it all on me, you get J.C. Latham. I think that checks two of your three biggest boxes. I think Deshaun would be there at 13? position, too. 13? I think him and Alt. Maybe if Alt's there. I think Alt's going to the Chargers. If Alt's there at 9, if Alt is there at 9, then you take Joe Alt, you get another receiver because there's plenty of receivers to go around, right? Keon Coleman's going to be there at he's some point. He's, he's, he's definitely up there. So I don't know, I'm just looking at this mock draft right here. This team, they have um neighbors going six they have a doomsday going to the bears at nine they have all 10 at the jets and then the 13th pick they have jerzon newton which is a d-line at illinois and latham be the pick after that how long how much do they need an interior d-lineman probably not as much as an o-lineman o-lineman's way more valuable than an interior yeah. defensive lineman if you get me if i'm justin fields and they decide to commit to me 
and they say, we're going to get you a receiver, and we're going to get you an O-line out of the draft, I'd be smiling ear to ear, and I'd, I'd be pretty excited for what's going to happen next season. That's what I would do, and that's what I would want if I was Justin Fields. And it's going to be pretty gut-wrenching if they're going to give up on you this, this quick mm-hmm. after giving you a pretty bad roster, right? right? Bottom, bottom qu- quarter roster that's- in the league. That's right. that's like Mike Rabel firing levels of just kind of right. It's uh, it's 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 gut wrenching. Yeah. It is. They go out and get you your guy DJ Moore has a good year, right? And they have guys around him that are okay, right? The roster's not great. That's a cut. That's a punch in the gut. If I'm Justin Fields, and I would want to be traded somewhere. I would say you trade me somewhere. That I'm gonna go become great. That's what I would do if I'm Justin Fields. If I'm the Bears GM. I keep Justin Fields. If they're, they're saying we want Caleb Williams. They're in a really unique spot because you have one of the best quarterback prospects probably since, I'd probably say Caleb Williams is above T-Law. Not as good as Andrew Luck, though. No. So since 2012, he's probably the best prospect coming out. Hyped up prospect, right? Why not keep Justin Fields? Is Caleb Williams really going to be worth that much? I don't know. I don't think so. No shot. That's me. I mean, going through, especially through hypotheticals, it feels like it's almost a no-doubter because they can get so much out of that first overall pick or you can get a quarterback and hope he can do better than Justin Fields did with that same roster. Obviously, they still have nine, so they'll help a little bit, but if you can get more capital and then on the next year even more capital and possibly a player, I think that sets up their future a lot better than drafting a quarterback even if he does become a generational quarterback. Like I said, it's going to be very hard for them to mess it up. So Mm -hmm. I really hope that doesn't happen. (laughs) In a few weeks, we'll be doing our mock draft, so stay tuned for that one. I think that's our most viewed uh, episode is our mock drafts. So stay tuned for those coming up, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.